Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. I'm very thankful for this opportunity to come and share my heart, to share what the Lord's been speaking to me. Um, If you remember last week, Pastor Patrick preached on three facets or kind of three keys to changing a culture. It was breaking bread, fellowshipping together, uh, intimate relationship, a knowing of him, and then implementation, right, walking in boldness. So those three things uh, rooted mainly, primarily, to the book of Acts and how we change culture. And the Lord had been speaking to me a word uh, a couple weeks prior to last week. And he said, hey, you know, I want you to come share what God's given you. And I said, okay. And it worked it out to where he ended up preaching last week. Well, what he preached last week was something that God had already been stirring in my heart because, see, what, what I want to bring to you today, what the Lord is going to speak today is about intentional intimacy, right? Point number two of what he preached last week was about knowing him in an intimate relationship. And what the Lord is bringing to us this morning is an opportunity, an invitation, an invitation to go deeper in intentional intimacy with him. So I believe that the, the way the Lord aligned the schedule was perfect because... The way God orchestrates things is just beautiful. Uh, and so we're going to be building upon what he preached last week. Listen, I love good church services. I love great, amazing services. And we've had some awesome services here recently. I love good church services. But good church services don't win cities. Good church services don't change culture. Good church services don't take schools and set them on fire for Christ. That comes through an intimacy and a knowledge of him on a personal level. When we come into good church services, it's just an overflow of what we're already experiencing individually. Right? So I love good church services, but we need to know him because it's not church services that are going to minister the gospel at Walmart. It's you. It's me. And it's our knowledge of him that we take with us to the grocery store or into our homes or our workplaces. So we're going to be talking about intentional intimacy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. So this comes at a time where Jesus had just healed a man of leprosy. Jesus is walking out his ministry here on earth and healing, signs, wonders, deliverance, all of it is being displayed as he teaches about the kingdom of God. And so he's just healed a man of leprosy and we pick up in verse 15. It says, however, the report went around concerning him, which is Jesus, all the more. Even though they tried to keep it quiet, man, word of mouth just spread. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 16. So he himself, the New King James says, he himself 
often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This morning, we're going to talk about intentional intimacy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for being in this place. I thank you for ministering already to hearts and minds. Lord, as we declare that we want to be a part of the story that you're writing of our lives, and as we talked about ending 2020, that you're not done writing our story, I thank you for that. I thank you for that word, Lord. I thank you that you've ministered here this morning. You've caught us up in a glimpse of your glory, God. And I pray that right now you would speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive from you, Lord. I pray that you would just be exalted in this place. I humble myself. I ask for you to stand in my shoes and speak through my mouth. Give me an utterance of your Holy Spirit to proclaim the exact words that you would have each and every person here to receive so that we could carry them in deeper intimacy and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus has got this ministry. It's expanding. And all of a sudden, word of mouth starts spreading. It even says, when it says that, that it is growing, that it, the, the knowledge of his ministry was growing, it's talking about a word of mouth kind of spreading. People were excited they were seeing what happened, and they were saying, now, wait a minute. He healed that man of leprosy. I've got a mother-in-law who's crippled. I wonder if he could heal her. Let's go. I've got a friend who's lame. I've got, a, I've got a relative who's blind. Let's go find this man named Jesus, and let's go get a miracle. And so all of these towns were flocking around him, and multitudes were gathering. And Jesus said, Man, I love the crowds. I'm compassionate. It says Jesus was moved towards the crowds. He was compassionate. But Jesus knew the importance of getting away. Jesus knew the importance of withdrawing into the wilderness. In fact, his ministry started by the Spirit leading him into the wilderness. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He is baptized in the Jordan River. Now, John was a repentance baptizer, but the type of baptism he did with Jesus, historians say it would have been one where he takes Jesus and he puts him face forward and submerges him in the water. And what happens is the voice, the audible voice of the Lord is declared over him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the dove, which is the Holy Spirit, descends on him. And the book of John says, and remained on him. Right? So in Jewish culture, there's this, there's a rite of passage with young men and young women. When they hit 12 years old, they have a, a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. And that recognizes that they are no longer children, but they're stepping into places where they can understand fulfilling service in the temple, right? And so they begin to memorize the Torah, and they begin to have these ceremonies. And as they grow up and they spend time in the temple, they learn the ways of the Jewish culture. But something very important happens in the life of a Jewish man at the age of 30. At the age of 30, there's a special baptismal service that happens where a man is baptized forward and the father is the one who baptizes the son, not the high priest. The father in the Jewish culture puts his son in the water and declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus 
goes through that same rite of passage because he was God, but he was man. So he's here on earth, and at 30 years old, he's commissioned into ministry with a baptism by John the Baptist, but it's not John the Baptist who declares, I'm well pleased. It's the father whose audible voice says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That ceremony was important in Jewish culture because that that ceremony marks a young man to be able to conduct business, the family business, as the father. When that ceremony happens at 30 years of age, it now means that if I put my name on a contract, it's like my father came and put his name on the contract because I'm authorized to do business as my father. That is the significance of Jesus' baptism. And what happens immediately after that public display is he's led by the Spirit to be withdrawn into the wilderness. It's there that he overcomes the temptations of Satan. But that's not the only time Jesus went to the wilderness. We see in Luke 5 that his ministry is growing, his fame is spreading, and it says he often withdrew into the wilderness. Now, the word wilderness is a place of solitary It's a place of seclusion. It's a place to get alone. But it's not a lonely place because when you get alone with God, you're never alone. What he was getting alone from was the voice of the crowd, the noise of the culture, the demand that was being put on him and tugged on him. He said, I have compassion towards the people, but there's a time where I got to come over here and I got to be alone with my heavenly father. The problem is in our culture, we want to stay in the spotlight. We want to stay with the crowds. We want to be like, hey, recognize what I'm doing instead of staying, put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me because I'll serve anywhere. I just have to see your beauty. Like we sang about this morning. Jesus withdrew into a place to be alone with the Father. What did that that empower him to do? Well, when he was able to say, hey, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. How could he clearly hear the voice of the Father? It's because he got alone with him. We say, well, Jesus was God. Yeah, 100% God, kenosis of Christ, but he was also 100% man. He was 100% flesh and bone like you and I are. Jesus got tired. Jesus got upset. He got emotional. When his best friend Lazarus died, it said Jesus wept. And I love what Corey Russell says. He says, I don't think Jesus kind of wiped a tear from his eye and said, all right, let's go. Jesus knew the plan of God, and it says he wept. And Corey Russell says, I think he wept for an awkward amount of time to let us know that our God weeps with us. He's a God that is moved by emotion because he's human, but he's God. So by spending time alone with the Lord, it strengthened the part of him that was God, the Holy Spirit in him to do ministry, but also to declare, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How could he make a statement like that? Yeah, he was Jesus, but keep in mind, we live on the other side of the cross. To the people he was talking to, to say, You don't need to see God because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was an audacious statement. How did he make that? Well, because the more time you spend alone with somebody, the more you start to look like them and talk like them and act like them, the more you start to be joined to them. And then people start to recognize 
Oh, yeah. That's the father. Why? Because he spends so much time with him that he's only saying what the father says. He's only doing what the father does. So he often withdrew into the place of loneliness. Look, he had to know the father to be able to speak as the father. Yes, he was the word. John 1, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That word took on flesh and came to earth. But did you know that Jesus stood up in the temple and he read from the book of Isaiah? He read from the scroll of Isaiah. The word read the word, right? He had to even get to know. He came from heaven, but when he was on earth, he said, I'm going to show you every single way of how you can walk this thing out and you can be close to him too. Eric Gilmore tells a story. He says, there's a revival service going on. And so they bring in this young, fiery preacher. And they bring in this very old, soft-spoken minister. And they ask, hey, will you both share tonight with the people? So the young minister says, yeah, I'd love to. And the old man says, if you need me to, I will. So they invite him up on stage, and the young minister goes first. And he opens his Bible to Psalm 23. And he doesn't even really have to look at his Bible. He just walks around and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he just starts quoting it. And he's screaming and he's worked up and he's sweating and he's on fire. And he's just, I mean, he's just passionate. And he's quoting the psalm. And it doesn't really move the people. The people just sit there. They watch it. He gets done. He's wiping sweat. Closes his Bible, walks back to his seat. The old minister walks up. He opens his Bible, puts on his glasses. He looks at the crowd, and with tears streaming down his cheek, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And as you look out over the crowd, the people begin to cry in the presence of God. The old man takes his glasses off, he closes his Bible, and he goes and sits back down, and people are visibly shaking and sobbing in this old church revival service. The young minister looks at the old minister and he says, I don't get it. I don't get it. What's the difference? I go up there. We read from the same passage. I come with emotion and fire and it doesn't, the people didn't even respond. You get up there and just say a few lines and the people are moved to tears. And he said the old man looked at him with love in his eyes and he said, listen, son, there is a difference. You know the psalm. I know the shepherd. Jesus withdrew to the wilderness so he could know the Father. Why do we withdraw? Look, another good quote I'm going to steal real quick from Eric. He says, you can read the Bible all you want. You can get wrapped in the ink of its pages and not have the oil from heaven. You have got to know him. When Pastor Patrick preached last week about the church changing the culture in the book of Acts, Listen, those guys were able to face being martyred because they knew him. There are stories of the martyrs where they were being tied up to the post to be burned at the stake. And the martyrs would say, if you see him in the fire, then raise your hands. And they were tied to the stake. And the minute the flames dissolved or disintegrated the, the ropes, every single martyr's hands would go up and they'd begin to worship as a testimony to the martyrs in line watching them be burnt who never recounted, never changed their story. 
You see a man burned to death. His hands go up and you say, all right, it's my turn. Let's go. Why? How could you do that? It's because you know him. You have to know him. Jesus knew him. There's another famous passage about a wilderness. Turn to Numbers 14. Wilderness is vital. Wilderness is vital to our intimate relationship with Christ. Numbers 14, 26. This is the people of God. The, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've had their great exodus under the leader Moses. And most of the time, they're caught up in grumbling and complaining. They even come to a point where they say, you know when we were having to like carry straw and mud and bricks and be the slaves of the Egyptians? Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. That's how deluded they had got. And the Lord says, in verse 26, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to the entire number for 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember, those were the two spies who came back from the promised land and said, hey, I know there's giants, but we can do this because the Lord's on our side. All of the other spies said it's hopeless. Those two were the only ones who operated in faith. So the Lord said, I'll spare those two. You shall by no means enter uh, the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones whom you despise. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Now, I started reading this passage, and I was like, the Lord mentioned the word carcasses three times. That's interesting. Why did he keep saying that? We get it. You're going to kill off all the people who were complaining against you in this wilderness. Why did he continue to say their carcasses are going to fall? Their carcasses are going to fall. In fact, the last time he says it, he says, and the, uh, let's see, for 40 years, the bear the brunt of your infidelity and your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Now this, you might be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were talking about getting alone with Jesus. We were talking about Jesus in the New Testament with the wilderness. This is like totally different. What are you talking about? Yeah, there was a very real wilderness that the Israelites in their rebellion were led through. And yes, their carcasses did fall in the wilderness. But another word, if you study the Hebrew for carcasses, is idolatrous images. And there's a whole lot of us that need a new wilderness season so we can walk through to have our idolatrous images purged from us so that we can even have a chance to enter into his promises. Listen, this last season, I'm going to get real with you, this last season has been a disappointment in a lot of ways for the American church because the American church has allowed herself to build a whole lot of idols. And we called it a lot of things. We called it politics. We called it anything to do with Washington, D.C., but we also built idols and called them church services because the minute that all of a sudden it was like, hey, 
Don't congregate together. It was, oh, we're being persecuted. This is awful. I don't know. This must be the tribulation because we can't get together. Why? Because maybe the service was your idol and it had replaced the image of him that you were supposed to be serving. If you were breaking bread in fellowship and if you knew him, then having to see each other on Facebook wouldn't have shaken your faith one single bit. There's no reason the church shouldn't have come out of this season more on fire because of daily breaking of bread and intimate knowledge of him. But instead, we worshiped false idols all the way through an election season, and now we don't know what to do. I'll tell you what we do. We turn in repentance to a wilderness, and we say, God, lay waste to every idol image. Let the carcasses fall. Everything I've built up and I've called it something that I loved, take it away. I I spoke on this a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday about consecration. Listen, there's not Jesus' first priority. There's Jesus is the only priority. Consecration has been so on my heart the last several months. Why? Maybe because I looked around and I saw people that weren't in love with him. They were in love with their own politics and their own titles and their own church services. God forbid that we've lost sight of him and we built golden calves and we called it the church. It is time for that to get purged out of burning ones who know him. It takes walking through a wilderness. Look, to lay waste or consume there is to be cleaned, purified, perfected. God weeded out all of the idolatrous, false images in the camp of Israel. And what came out on the other side was a people purified through the wilderness so that they could walk in promise. If God allows those grumbling, ungrateful Israelites to come up against the walls of Jericho, they never succeed. God had to, God had to murder that in them in the wilderness. God has to murder that in me. God has to murder that in you. Those times where I say, Lord, I really love you. I, I want to spend time with you. And if I get 10 extra minutes before bedtime, I'll give them to you. Man, what a disservice we're doing to the one who gave everything for us. I woke up for a, from a dream the other night. And I just heard these words echoing. The Lord said, understand, I created you because I want you, not because I need you. The Lord doesn't need us to be God. He always was God. He said, I created you because I wanted you. My people need me, but I'm not convinced they want me. That's what I heard when I woke up. I need God to live, but do I show him that I want him? Do I show him that he's the most important thing in my life? Do I show him that I care enough to give him, as we sang today, preeminence? Colossians says he's the preeminent one. Do we care enough about what he's promised us to go through a wilderness to allow our idols to cease so that we can be perfected in him? One of the worst idols we saw displayed was, was the idol of ministry. Bonhoeffer, who was an author who went through the Holocaust, he wrote, it doesn't matter how fast you run down the hallway if you get on the wrong train, you'll never reach the destination. And a lot of Christians 
hopped on the train of ministry and said, oh, wait, God's over that way. I'm going to run as hard as I can, but the train was taking him farther away from him. And it's not just the train of ministry. It's the train of career. It's the train of, you know, self-preservation. It's the train of fascinations with lesser lovers, with hobbies that just don't matter. Look, it's not even about sin. Did Jesus withdraw to the wilderness to be close to the Father because he needed to be purified of sin? No. Jesus was the spotless lamb. He had no sin. So if Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and he knew no sin, how much more do I need to run to the wilderness to get alone with the Father? If you board the wrong train, it doesn't matter how fast you run down the other hallway. So Jesus gives us instruction. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus gives instruction for how to find that wilderness place. How do you find that wilderness place? How do you find that place to get alone? Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We have got to have a secret place relationship with him. That's how we get into a season where we say, God, I'm going to take the mask off that makes me a hypocrite. I'm going to lay before you and say, purify everything in me that doesn't look like you. But that's not something we do out on the street corner. And Lord, help us. It's not something we do on Facebook or any other social media platform. What are the things that God whispers to you when it's just you and him? What are the treasures that you have in your heart that he's revealed to you that nobody else knows? You might be sitting here right now and say, I don't have a single one. You can change that today. You can change that today. What are the things that God has put on your heart that nobody else knows? Well, until you get into that place where you can shut the door from the distraction, you can shut the door from the noise, you can turn it all off and say, Lord, I want your voice to be the clearest one I hear. Look, sometimes the Lord is mighty and roars, but sometimes the Lord comes in the still, small voice, just quiet enough to see if we can hear him above all of the other noise and distraction. So how do you get that out? Shut the door and go into the secret place. But I'll say this. I feel like in Christianity, sometimes... Or as Pastor Patrick likes to say, churchianity. I love that. In churchianity, I think sometimes we have confused the secret place with keeping Jesus a secret. He wasn't saying, get alone with me, and then when you get around people, make sure you act like you don't know me. Jesus is not our affair. He's our groom. He is not a relationship that we keep on the side. We don't call that secret place. Keeping him a secret is not you in the secret place. It's just that you shouldn't have to broadcast how much you love him because people ought to feel it reverberating off of you when you walk by. How do people know that you've been in the secret place? Because you ought to live different. You ought to talk different. You ought to be different. It doesn't mean 
it doesn't mean that you deny that you know him. Look, if your coworkers are shocked when they find out you're a Christian, there's a problem. I never knew that that person went to church. Gracious. I would have never known. I would have never guessed. What a terrible thing to be said of us. Right? The secret place is not him in secret. It is that when we get alone with him, there's things he puts in us. There's things he whispers to us so sweetly that then all of a sudden, without even trying, God starts to amplify those things in our life, and then everyone around us is able to take notice. Not because we had to get on a bullhorn and yell prayers out loud on the street corner, but because people say, I don't know what it is about that person, but I feel such a love when they walk in the room that I just want to be around them. And you're able to say, look, man, it's not me, it's Jesus. I love Jesus so much that what you see in me is him, and you can have that too. Preach the gospel in everything, and when necessary, speak. Your coworkers ought to be able to go to you and say, I know you're different, and I'm going through something. And I want you to, to, to do whatever it is you do with whatever God it is you serve because I know there's something different about you. Look, you don't have to get them saved and water baptized and evangelizing that minute. You plant the seed and let God bring the watering, and that'll happen. But listen, if you never even live in a way that's different, then they won't even know to ask you. And what a heartbreaking loss of opportunity to introduce somebody to the God that we claim that we know and love. It's about intentional intimacy. It's about intentional intimacy. The thing about it is, the reason why good church services don't work is because getting around other people who know him doesn't mean that you'll get to know him. Can I be real for just a second without you guys casting any stones? I think this is just one of the most beautiful examples. And I don't want to see it weird, but just follow me here. Children are the public example of a private intimacy. But you don't get pregnant by being around other pregnant people. It's not in the water. You don't catch pregnancy. It's intentionality and an intimacy that happens, and then there's a public display. If we want to become pregnant with the promises that he's given us, there has to be a coming away of intimacy. You cannot achieve what he has for you over here if you don't say, I'll go through the wilderness first. Yeah, I want Canaan, I want the land flowing with milk and honey, but I have to go through a wilderness where I destroy the golden calf first. There's an intentionality to getting alone with him. And I just want to end by sharing this. The Lord shared with me the other day in, in a time of prayer. I was just praying and I said, Lord, what does it mean to look at you? What does it mean to look into your eyes? What does it mean to, to see you? And the Lord asked me a question in prayer time. He said, how close do you have to be to somebody before you can see your own reflection in their eyes? 
I'll tell you this, you have to be close enough to where you can feel their breath. If I want to see me in somebody else's eyes, and I don't mean figuratively, but I mean literally, I have to be nose to nose, cheek to cheek with somebody. Close enough to where I can feel their next breath. Jesus said, you'll never see a more pure reflection of yourself than when you see it in my eyes. You'll never see yourself walking in purpose until you've seen what you look like reflected in my eyes. And every other reflection is inferior. There's no other mirror of comparison that'll work. Not career, not achievement, not culture, not even your ministry. There is no reflection that is as pure as the way he sees you in his eyes. How do I get alone with him and get so close that I see myself how he sees me? Intentional intimacy. Shutting the door. You might say, okay, practically, how do I do this? Uh, You want me to read more chapters of the Bible? You want me to pray longer? Like, is there a time limit on this? Not at all. The beautiful thing about intentional intimacy is it's got to mean something to you because it means something to him. Your secret place is special to you and him. It won't look the same as my secret place. God's able to have individual connections with each one of us. And so if you don't know what to do, here's what I'd say is a great starting point practicality-wise. Get in a quiet space. Shut the door because that's what Jesus said to do. And instead of bringing your laundry list of prayer requests to him, sit there in silence and let him do the talking. You may have never prayed that way before. I want to tell you this. As, as my prayer life in the secret place has evolved um, over the years, I find that when I'm alone with him, I do so much little of the talking. And he talks so much, and it's so beautiful when he does. You might say, well, how do, I, how do I know if what I'm hearing in my head is the Lord? Does it sound like love? Is it what's best for you? Is it I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord? When you hear that voice in you that says, I'm proud of you, and I love you, and I want what's best for you, and I'm going to take care of you, that's the Lord. Any measurement of inferiority that's that's pointing out flaws and cracks and shame in you, that's not the voice of the Lord. You rebuke that voice, you keep on sitting in his presence. And the longer that you sit in his presence, the clearer his voice becomes. And the more you get into his word and you read what his word says about who you are and what he has spoken, you bring that into the secret place and you begin to pray those scriptures back to him. God, it says that you love me. God, it says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and then you just sit there and let him talk. Let him talk. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. I feel released to share this, so I will. Yesterday, I had a tough day. I, had, I, had a, I lost a friend yesterday, and it was tough, and I, I blocked out intentionally a part of my schedule to be alone with the Lord. And I was alone with the Lord, and I don't know that I really even said five words the whole time I was with him. I just sat there in his presence and, and I cried out to the Lord, and I let him do the talking. And I feel like it's important to know that we want fire in our church services, but the Lord just wants our tears. So sitting alone with him, the Lord 
he, he spoke to me some beautiful things, and he gave me a vision of something. It was so beautiful. And this morning, in worship, I got down on my knees and I was praying. And our pastor came and laid in the floor with me. And he spoke something that the Lord gave him. It was the exact thing the Lord told me yesterday in the secret place. I mean, the same words. Word for word, what the Lord spoke over me yesterday in my time of brokenness, the Lord used our pastor to say those exact words to me here. That's what Jesus said when he said, get away in private and close the door. And when I'm able to speak to you privately, I'll speak to you publicly. I hadn't told Patrick any of that stuff. It was the Lord using Patrick to confirm to me, hey, just, just so you know, when I spoke it to you, I was serious. I meant everything I said. That's beautiful. That's why we believe in the gifts here. That's why we believe in the prophetic giftings. They should be a confirmation to what you're hearing from him in the secret place. I want us to be intentional because intentionality and relationship is how we change culture. It's how we move cities. My prayer recently has been this. Lord, I want to be so passionate for you that I'm either contagious or annoying. And I mean that sincerely. I either want to be contagious to the people who are hungry or I want to be annoying to the people who are content. And if every single one of us live our lives like that, we will set this place on fire for his glory. And our love for him will be so contagious that prostitutes and drug addicts and homosexuals and people living in lifestyles of sin, those who are abused, who are broken, who are full of demonic oppression will walk in the doors and feel his love and we won't have to put out one flyer or one brochure or one marketing campaign because there will be a love that resonates in the people of God because they got away with him intentionally and as we walk in the city, the people will start to see Jesus in us. That's what Jesus' plan was from the beginning, that we are image bearers of Christ. But you only get to look like him if you spend enough time with him. He can start to take everything that doesn't look like him and chip it away to what's left is him in you. And what's seen in his eyes is your reflection, how he sees you. Let's be intentional about intimacy this week. Stand with me. Thank you.